0: You're listening to the podcast for grain merchandisers, by grain merchandisers. Join us in our good-humored attempt to serve as a voice of reason in an industry fraught with misconceptions and half truths And now, from deep in America's
1: heartland, this is The Elevator's Cut. Welcome back to another episode of The Elevator's Cut. We're glad you're here. I am one of your hosts, Jason Wheeler. And your other host, who is Roger Gaddis, is down at this end of the table. Thanks. We are glad you're here listening, of course, as always. And today, our big zeitgeist that we should delve into that's reared its ugly head again are these grain sheets.
0: Dude, you nailed it, ugly head. Have you seen some of these mug shots? <laughs> Holy smokes. Where's the proactive when you need it?
1: Yes, our latest... Our latest uh, issue that that came up was was uh, Mr. Mr. Hansen up in North Dakota, and uh, and and it's been flying around Twitter a good bit and everything he had a he had had some great interviews that he did. Oh my gosh, one on one, all sorts of. Good. So if you got time, look look it up. It's uh it's quite a story. There's a, there's a lot into it that that goes into it, but but he was in North Dakota and. Uh, it started, you know, we we see these every few years somewhere, some different spot of the country, but but somebody and it, and you know, not, not always is it intentional. I don't even think, but but guys get into running grain and getting behind on some payments, and so they deliver some stuff, they they start delaying their payments to their farmers, and it uh, it snowballs. And you know,
0: it is a anyone that's in production ag elevator, farmer, inputs, anything like that. cash is tight. We all know that. And um you everybody's trying to manage their cash flow as best they can. Some people just get really creative with it, how they manage their cash flow. And um, you know, reference in the the interview you talked about, Jason, that if you guys get on, I think it's on if you haven't seen it, I think it's on Ag Week, if you get online and look, you can go find the interview. Um it was from a year ago, I believe, and uh it was the most cringe-worthy thing i think i've ever seen and i've seen some stuff and this was this was top shelf cringe it's incredible it's really awkward for everyone involved
1: yeah and it makes you think so so this guy he just got sentenced um recently in the last few weeks i guess uh his sentence came down he's going to be going to prison for 8 years i believe is what this article says i'm looking at and He's 22 years old, and and you know you listen to the interview, you read some of the stuff. The guy's in over his head. He didn't have the experience. I, I mean, we can all probably relate if you're a 22 or older that you have that that moment of life where you it seems like everything makes sense and it's simple and you know everything. It just usually for most of us doesn't involve millions of dollars. <laughs> Right, right. Is it how much uh, bravado do you have at that point in your life? How how far do you take it? Well, he took it pretty far, and that just things started snowballing on him, and uh, and it was good. But but he claims to have what six years of grain elevator experience and grain trading experience, which we, is uh, quite a deal at, at twenty two. Yeah, it's. I mean,
0: start start young, know your passion, and follow it blindly. Is what I always say. Sir, No, you're going to hear some paper rustling. We actually used um, a high-tech machine in there, the printer, and printed off some internet stories here to, to help us get through this episode. And uh,
1: Roger is so uh, out of practice of using printers <laughs> that he printed them nicely uh, landscape and, and double-sided. double-sided. <laughs> I just
0: worry about the environment because then you know it's going to kill us. Yeah. So, you know, and it talks a little bit, we're going to talk about different uh, fraud grain cheat cases around the country in the, in the past, I don't know, 10 years or so. We just randomly picked some, mainly what we could remember. We're getting up there in age, so we didn't remember a lot. But, you know, it was pretty interesting how some of these folks got their start. Some of them were were flashing the pans like this guy, you know, come out of nowhere, made a big splash and took a lot of people down with him. Um, some of these were like that. Some of them are, were established companies that had been doing business with farmers and, and other buy, end users for a long time and for whatever reason took a turn for the worse. Yeah. So I guess the idea is and we're not trying to, to forensically dissect all these, say what everybody have in common. You know, Well, they were all humans, so that they had that in common and they were in the grain business. Other than that, I think it's all pretty different. Uh, and so we just kind of wanted to touch base on some of these things of of uh, that we found interesting about these stories, other than the fact these these were all people that you know rightfully so belong in jail, um, the ideas behind what they were doing, if there was any.
1: Yeah, I, and, and for this guy in North Dakota, I think he just got in over his head real fast. He wasn't intent in intent on creating a a Ponzi scheme. In fact, they asked him if he knew what a Ponzi scheme was. He I've never even heard of it. You know, it's it's a it's a thing. Of course, he didn't design it to do this, but but it can easily become become that, and it did. He he got sentenced to eight years, but he's also supposed to pay off over eleven million dollars in restitution.
0: He's twenty two. He has a lot of earning years ahead of him. That's incredible, right? But it was interesting. He got it said he got fired from, and we're reading an article off Ag Week here. But he said he got fired for using when he started working the elevator, they're they're testing equipment for his side business in competition to his employer. That kind of sets a tone for me right there. That's pretty brazen to do. I mean, <laughs> I can only imagine if I was the manager at that elevator, what I'd have thought had unknown found out that was happening.
1: Well, so another thing with agriculture, of course, a relationship business, and and uh, and and it's all about. Trust and, and who you do business with. And, and after watching hearing the, the facts of the story and watching the interview with the guy, it's somebody trusted him with large sums of money or, you know, in the form of grain at different times. Uh, that's why $11 million is owed to people. So it becomes... Why? why why if you listen to him talk he doesn't like the the journalist who's not some grain expert i mean he's been around it but he's asked him simple things like how do you make your money and i mean he, the guy couldn't answer the questions it's craziness so the vetting process makes me makes me wonder it, but we all know what the what the vetting process is how much are you paying sure that's sure. the vetting process yeah. unfortunately
0: And, you know, the other the other party in this was apparently this uh, cash broker up there that was vouching for the guy or putting him in touch with the producers. And so, you know, for the producer side, I I guess they had some form of trust with this broker, this cash broker. Um, So it's like, where would this guy come into play with the deal? And like most
1: financial frauds, it was all about the money, I guess. It was crazy. At one point, he he started a a, what, a a car lot too, and all sorts of other things to to get into to try to try to create some cash flow and return to to pay some people back. And it it oof, it just snowballed real big until uh, until it was found. It was crazy. Till it melted. <laughs>
0: and that speaking of that, wasn't that what he claimed was what brought him down? Was a frozen sump pump pipe or something <laughs> like that? The bin went bad, and the high water table, and all these other.
1: Yeah, it was like five thousand bushels had spilled or something, and Those that was peas. it. And, and once yeah. once that all got taken care of, he was in the interview. He's like, once that all gets, you know, it it'll all get straightened out, you know. And 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 to his to his defense, like I I think he genuinely thought, well, I'm just a little behind, and it'll just catch up. Oh, he was that he literally was a little behind, and he just didn't <laughs> catch up. And that's that's the ticket. <laughs>
0: uh, you know, so I. I we make light of this, and I know it's it's a sore subject. And some of our listeners probably dealt with this or involved with it. And you know, sorry, I'm you know, really sorry for you. And you don't wish this on anybody because it gives the industry a black eye, right? For producers, it gives elevators a black eye, uh, um, or cash brokers, or whoever else. It's not good, no one likes to see this. Um, and, and you know, can you learn anything from this going forward? I don't know. I think it comes back to what Jason said earlier. It's a relationship business, and you got to know the people you're dealing with and know them well, and and uh, and uh, do your due diligence as best you can. There, there's always counterparty risk. Yeah, always counterparty risk. And um, you know, it's it's up to every every participant in the business to you know decide for themselves if who they're dealing with is risky or not. It's really the best you can do. I think. Also, if someone's bidding way out of the market for a long time for grain, you should probably question
1: that. Right. And, and what we know is, I mean, people are involved in, in everything and people mess up and there are good folks and bad folks and well-intentioned folks that just, you know, get get sideways on on things that they they get in over their head. And so if this, this is just the latest example. Sure, it was in North Dakota and, and it affected folks up there. And but but we've had, you know, Roger. Roger's been in the business for a a million years, I think, or something. Close and rounded I'm, up. I'm at like 15, so there there've been there've been a few and and uh so all all different geographies. We we just peeled off a few that that we remember. Here, did you have have one you're about yeah. to?
0: Well, yeah, the next one here uh actually hit close to home. I guess this was in Missouri back in. When was this? 20, 10, 2010, 2010, 2011, yeah, 2010. Uh, over there around uh, St. Louis, I guess, or Northeast Missouri, the um, up in Martinsburg, Missouri, I guess. And this, this uh, lady had been buying grain and uh, claimed to have, a, I'm reading here again from an article uh, out of St. Louis today from back then. And it said, uh, you know, that she. Uh, Claim to have a special deal with uh, agriculture giant Archer Daniers Midland that let her broker crops for premium prices. So if there's anything we know, the ABCDs love to give away money <laughs> to country elevators, right? Yeah, and cash brokers. They Absolutely. love to pay them just premiums because they're nice people. Maybe that's why they've not been making money lately.
1: That's right. Yeah, the, these these big companies, they they don't ever want to go direct to the farmer if they can... They could help it. Finding all the cuts. Yeah. Uh,
0: it says farmers turned over the crops who promised to later pay them a high return for their yield.
1: Yes. So she was from Martinsburg, Missouri. Uh, she was a, a trucking it, that's it right. It was mainly trucking operation. But anyways, when when uh, when it all hit the fan for her, the it came out to the tune of twenty seven million dollars. So a few bucks. Yeah, quite a bit. hundred and seventy nine farmers were involved in that. So pretty uh pretty good. But you know, when all this stuff happens and they're trying to find money, of course they go seize everything they can and, and look through everything she's bought over the years and stuff. And then, you know, the of course the newspaper likes to yes. likes to find the most outlandish. One of my favorite was she bought a nine hundred dollar tanning bed for show pigs. I I Randy, did you know that existed? it make them smell like bacon or something that's it's incredible
0: it'll work yeah it also said she had bought some prize winning um no bought cooling systems for some show barns to encourage thick prize winning coats and cattle there you go and that's how the article starts off so there you go there's your (laughs) there's your outrage right off the bat who knew uh called the midwest Madoff. this happened not too yeah the judge the the judge called her that apparently in the case classic
1: pyramid scheme and uh you like know pyramid it, scheme like Mary Kay or what are we talking
0: MLM baby <laughs> Uh and and like most of these it says she started off with offering grain prices only a little higher than standard and only to a small close-knit group and once those people got blindsided she expanded business in a big way I more to read on this is you know okay can we Talk about show animals for a minute here. You know we please uh, last elevator's out. We sh- we we sold some show feed to people and and uh look guys, I had no idea that uh, that did you know Did you know, Randy? Did you know that you can go out and buy a eight slant goat trailer, fully aluminum. You have to duck your head to get in it for show goats. It's incredible, so I, I get it. Show animal people are a breed on their own, and uh, money's no option, whether they have it or not. It's like horse people. But it says that uh, the the uh, U.S. attorney said she spent more than two million dollars of the farmer's money on herself and her hobbies during those years, including half a million on show pigs, so three pigs, a <laughs> hundred thousand for her daughter in college, and forty thousand for her boyfriend. Uh but of that it says she invested a one hundred thousand to buy one boar and as much as thirty-five thousand on a single cow. Wow. Those numbers aren't far from reality, just generally in show business, uh, animal show business. But, you know, usually you're just not done with stolen money. That makes it
1: worse. Yeah. Is that does she name it secretariat or what she <laughs>
0: And then her lawyer, of course, said much of the money spent on livestock was won in fares by her daughter. Because everybody knows country fairs have just money. It's a great return, money. return on investment. That's that's Well, you got you to know, still pay for the feed. Oh, yeah, yeah. Fancy trailers. But anyway, um, you know, and all joking aside, you know, she was considered a high-risk flight, uh, high-risk of flight, and it was handcuffed in the courtroom and all this stuff. And it was a huge deal when it came out. I mean— Crazy. Because, like you said, so many people were involved, so much money. And, you know, for all the states, not every state, you know, a lot of people don't realize this, but even the states that's got some big grain production in it don't have licensing requirements. Not every state has grain dealers licenses, even though they have grain dealers in them. Mm -hmm. And uh, then when you get into the, um, I guess, indemnity fund, states, a lot of states have those, but the amount they cover is... as a pittance, when you got something like this, you know, millions upon millions of dollars,
1: right? It doesn't say in this what the state did for those 179 farmers she owed 20, whatever million, uh, 27 million to, but that what, but I can tell you it, uh, it, it creates back whether they they paid them anything. I don't know if she was licensed or not, but. Uh, it, it creates the bad press and then the, the politicians get involved because the farmers complain and, and it goes up the chain and then they're cracking down on whatever uh, state mm. grain departments and all that. So what happened was I can I can vouch for Missouri is they tried to put in some some safeguards of of minimum requirements of net worth mm-hmm. based on. Uh, total volume of re- revenue of sales, mm-hmm. I guess. And it goes to bond. Yeah. So, right. So, so I think it had to be like 5% of your total revenues. You had to have a net worth to be able to to be a, a licensed grain trader. Or
0: whatever. Well, right. Well, and Missouri has, was it two or three tiers of grain dealers license right. too? You know, depending on if you offer storage, if you don't, different things. So, it was, yeah. But it, it, I remember hearing from several folks elevator folks in Missouri, when they made that change, that was kind of a crimp to their businesses, like more regulation, you know, now to to do what I've always been doing. And I've been playing by the rules. Right.
1: I, and that absolutely happened to, to a, uh, it was a, a younger family that just started in the grain business uh, that, that I was working with really nice folks, very high integrity people and everything, but it was a small operation and what they did, they had a lot of farmers that used them because if you had a grain dealer's license, you could sell to the certain, Buyer, They only Mm -hmm. bought it through a grain dealer's license. So farmers would use it. So they did a lot of direct ship on beans. Well, of course, as you know, beans are high dollar values. So their, their net worth was nowhere near what it needed to be to trade the beans they were trading. And they, they pretty much, they, they had to, you know, discontinue their license and get out of the grain business mm-hmm. they were they were mainly input business but they were doing well they were you know doing well in the grain stuff and and doing things right but all of a sudden that that service for those guys they worked with was gone yeah uh, because they're trying to correct for this rogue person that that uh that took people for a bunch of money you know yeah. so yeah. it's unfortunate it is it really is It's the next one you got here Next one's from the, the fine state of Arkansas. The finest. The, the best. Roger and I both hail from from Arkansas. Uh, I don't know where Randy's from.
0: Oh, yeah. he Is somewhere. he from Arkansas? Somewhere.
1: I guess. I guess we'll – I didn't know if we wanted to let people know that Randy's also from Arkansas, but there we are. What's the name of this place, Roger? Place in East Arkansas.
0: This was a few years ago. And um, you know they—they they, uh, it was a big deal because in the news when they got uh, busted, if you will, they were tied up with with some big grain companies, big end users, lots of money was owed, and uh, it just impacted a whole bunch of people up and down the chain in, in an entire area. You know, mm-hmm. in the the Delta of Arkansas was uh, northeast Arkansas was was uh, all a buzz with this one.
1: Yeah, this is Turner Grain and it was, uh, it was quite a, quite a big net. They cast uh company listed debts of uh, looking at the article here, uh, 40 million and assets of 13.8 million. Uh, I said once they, once they delved into the, into the books a little bit. Yeah.
0: This is an article from Arkansas online, the Democrat Gazette back in uh, last year, I guess last summer. And, um, uh it, it was you know so we got what what the reporters know and Owen put in here which is all the, the the facts and figures but man the stories we heard because we had some customers down there and, and at the time some uh just people i knew in the grain business and talking about maybe they didn't necessarily get hung up with them but knew someone that did or had a neighbor and it was yeah. it was nuts because they were um you know they had one of the big resellers in the area on the hook for a lot of money. They had. Uh, one of the big ag lenders in the area was at mm-hmm. risk. Uh, one of the big poultry processors over there was at risk. I say at risk, you know, involved with it, uh, monetarily or grain wise, either way. And, uh, again, it was just, I mean, I think it just comes right out and says in an article is just essentially a check kiting deal. It's yeah. It's kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul, if you will.
1: Yeah. And you, you, I guess you never know fully the, the reasoning of the origin of, of, uh, of what the tipping point was for, for them to get into it. And, and then it snowballs from there or what the point is where eventually it just, you can't hide it anymore. But, but it was a, it was a deal, you know, Arkansas being from Arkansas, everything, not just the grain business, but everything, just the good old boy network. And, Oh, you know, I know your dad and you know, you're good in it. And that was, I mean, one of the main guys in this, uh, this company, his dad was known for for years and everything is mm-hmm. it, good came from a good family, honest, you know, all that stuff. So it was it was easy. But what happened was they just kept paying more and more and more. And, you know, you get behind the eight ball, you need cash flow to come and the prices are low and nobody wants to go. Well, if if they're not going, you can't keep the checks coming in and you can't keep it going. So all of a sudden these guys are you know, if you need to buy grain, you pay a little bit more and you can get some more bought. Well, these guys need to buy a lot more. And so mm-hmm. they start bidding a lot more and a lot more and and uh it was it was quite an ordeal, but, but yeah, the, the effects of course are all the people that did business with them when they file bankruptcy and all that stuff and, and they're out the money, but also all the surrounding, not just the bad press for the industry, but the folks that normally buy that grain don't get to buy it. The, the grain guys, the the mm-hmm. elevator folks mm-hmm. and all that, they don't get to buy that grain that they normally buy because these guys are paying 60 cents more than the market. It's, I mean, it's crazy. And or more. And, uh, so then they get pressure from, you know, on and on. It, it just, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's far it's reaching, not face. even the people involved in the lawsuit or, or, on the hook for the money. Um, so that,
0: and wasn't Arkansas, one of the states that, that didn't require a grain dealer's license prior to this. Right. And didn't they, I think I could be mistaken, but I, I don't think, uh, anyway, uh, you know, the plant board's always been there and, you know, say what you will right. about that. But as far as the grain dealer's license, that. I think that it it took a different turn after all this uh, came out. So obviously, more government regulation is, is the answer, right?
1: <laughs> that that's always the the deal will over overcorrect with the with the strong did hand we, of government.
0: Did, was did you know or do you know that any of these cases we talked about so far were hedging? Did it come into play at all? Was this all back to back speculation? Was it?
1: So I mean, do do we
0: know? I never
1: remember hearing anything about either three of these cases. I don't think so. I mean, a lot these cases I think are all basically cash brokering or this one was a trucker trucking business, but it it was just it's mostly back to back stuff, and uh, yeah, I mean you you get a well any of us that even in the grain business, you know, you think you're hedged on something and you're not. And then by the time you catch it, it's a little against you. So you're like, well, let's wait a little while and maybe it'll come back. And it's, it's, you can imagine how easy it can get to, it can snowball on you. If you're not just, as soon as you find a mistake, correct it and be decisive. Mm-hmm. Um, so just from the grain elevator standpoint, you can see that. So these folks, they don't even have that hedging background, uh, <laughs> to, to, for that sort of thing. So they're just thinking, Oh, wait, can I hurt like the Hunter Hansen guy, the, the guy we started talking about, he said it, it was based on some thing. He had read, some article he had read on the, some corner of the internet that spring wheat prices were going to do something, but it was Facebook. <laughs> it was a good one. And, uh, but secret but information he had,
0: I think he yeah. had special information, not secret, maybe but special information. It was bad, and turns out that it was very bad information. But it was special. I just always curious about that, you know, if it was uh, if they were doing other things on the side, or just completely by the seat of their pants. Which, oh, uh, my opinions, but yeah. you know. Okay, so the next one here, uh, title: Six accused of stealing millions in grain. This is back from 2015, down in Texas, and uh, it was a case of a, a, a again. Uh, an established grain company that had been around a long time and had uh i, I think from what i know or understand it had um, you know had solid relationships and mm-hmm. somewhere it just went askew right and um this article uh you know said there was 15 million dollars of yellow corn was involved in this you know couple county area and um down south texas and or the coastal bend area, I guess. But, uh, you know, I'd heard stories where they were um, um, actually not just the corn farmers down there that they were involved with. There was, you know, trains of Milo out of western Kansas that, that weren't paid for. They got shipped down there by some big co-ops out west. And, um, you know, th- that was actually where I first heard about was the Milo deal where they were, you know, had was a year behind, supposedly, supposedly a year behind on paying some of these farmers and other elevators for Milo. Yeah. And, you know, then when it come around to the next season said, like, Ah, oh, you know, we'll pay you for next year, but we need to hold off on paying you for this year's stuff too. And people continue to do business with it. That was a, yeah. That was insane. I, I mean, I get it. You you trust someone, so you trust what they say, but man, from the outside looking in, that's um uh, usually more than thirty day pay in a green business raises some red flags or would to me. But for you know, three hundred and sixty day pay—that's a—that's something else.
1: Well, yeah, when I mean, it's a guy you've known for a long sure. time and done dealt with fine for many many years, and then things start things start slide. But yeah, that was that was a crazy deal. In that that they, they I think at one point even like because they were having issues with the company and and not paying for things that they were under certain orders, they created a separate company to keep buying stuff. But it was the same people, and people yeah. still did it, even though they owed' them from the other company it, so it was a uh, different was name quite of the
0: contract but the same people behind it yeah it was it was quite a quite an ordeal and you know far reaching implications again it's not just the local people down there it's it's states away you know' is involved yeah. in this stuff and so it affects all those people's uh, customers in other states that had nothing to do with it so again you know the patrons of that co-op in West Kansas you know I'm sure they
1: felt the deal of it too so even though they had nothing directly to do with it. So how many million was that for? Ben? Fifteen, I believe, 15 I see on, on the
0: corner. But it doesn't mention this this article anyway. That's just um Yeah, this is from the uh Victoria Advocate down in Victoria, Texas. Doesn't really mention anything about the the Milo, but um again, that's uh, unsubstantiated secondhand information, which is what you'd come to expect from, from us here.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: So lastly, we wanted to talk about, uh, you know, uh, another incident of, say, grain cheats, you know, fraud or, or, you know, just general left a bad taste in everyone's mouth. Bankruptcies and, went under and whatnot. Bankruptcies and whatnot. <laughs> and it's not just a small company. It was a small player. But, uh, you know, this was back in 2010. Yeah. But I think it got going in oh eight, oh nine when it started falling apart. Guys in in the Eastern Corn Belt and Upper Midwest remember Verison the Ethanol Company?
1: Yeah, I bet a lot of people listening remember that. I know heard about them.
0: Yeah, we've had some stories, horror stories, or some uh, you know people you and I know that uh, you know stories of uh, rail uh, unit cars of train uh, of corn on the on the tracks getting stopped dead in their tracks when this thing happened, and hoping they'd either get their money or their corn back, and it was just a bad deal. it was losses. Here in the article, we're reading an article again back from from 2010. But
1: it, all all this stuff hit the fan in 08. Yeah, with yeah. the Big run up
0: from Ethanol Producer Magazine and It's talking about losses: 63 million to 103 million dollars. It's hard to bounce back from,
1: no matter who you are. Yeah, it's quite a bit. They they. Uh, but it, getting a little into the into the article, they it was based on they of course. 08 for you, you know, corn goes to six, seven, eight dollars. And, and, uh, Trocanova is an ethanol plant, of course, or several ethanol plants. They had to, had to buy that stuff And so they're trying to manage that, that risk and the high prices of their input. And then, uh, and, and the thing that always gets me is these, these big companies, they think that, <laughs> or or even these these little guys they think they can find a better resource than anybody that can really know the market. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, we got a lot of money in this. Let's just let's just pay the right person and or talk to the right person that can tell us which way the market's going. And they do think, I mean, and it, it's not just this company. I, I, lots of companies, you'd be surprised, at very large organizations that, you know, use Use grain as input, and they get people to come in—economists, people from you know, with big titles from big organizations and big banks or lots of academics and all the stuff—and they'll come in and tell them why the market's going to go which way or the other way, and and they will they will act on this. In this in this case, they really acted on it. Oh my gosh! And uh, so so that summer, they they got out and and uh, where is. Do you have the part? Yeah.
0: It says, right. you know, in July, I'm quoting from an article, in July 08, after corn prices had risen from approximately $6 a bushel, we can only dream nowadays, uh, at the end of May 08, May of 08, almost $8 per bushel due to extraordinarily extraordinary weather conditions in the Midwest and broader commodity trends, uh, we effectively priced our corresponding physical purchases of corn at the then current market price which proved to be significantly higher than today's market prices for corn. In addition, based on market forecasts that prices would continue to rise, we entered into a number of, quote, accumulator contracts, unquote, relative to corn requirements for the third and fourth quarters that, in each case, allowed us to purchase a specified volume of corn at prices below them prevailing market rates. But, here's the kicker, also required us to purchase that same volume of corn, in addition to the initial purchase, at one or more lower prices per bushel should market prices decline to or below those lower levels shortly thereafter what happened jason bad things corn prices commenced (laughs) a sharp decline from almost eight dollars bushel to a low of under five dollars per bushel in mid-august 08 so we're talking just a few months summer of 08 was a nutty summer y'all if you weren't there it was crazy if you were there nut and squirt- turds. Pour yourself a drink in remembrance tonight. <laughs> uh, as a result, we were required under the accumulator contract to purchase additional amounts of corn at prices that proved to be higher than prevailing market prices.
1: They got accumulated on. They got accumulated on. Yeah, it it was tough. It, I mean, uh, those in the elevator business, and we talked, we did an episode with Jeff Reardon talking about the the heat of the 08 the summer, mm-hmm. a little hotter than most, and... The, the elevators listening, they know the margin calls and on and on. And you can, these larger companies, you just add a zero to to the type of, few. of margin calls you were dealing with. And these guys are no exception, but they have the added luxury of being able to sit in a boardroom with suits and ties and talk about it with people that matter uh, and their banks. and <laughs> also. But anyways, so they sit there with, with this stuff and they're like, what are we going to do? Well, what's the... And it says here, well, we had market forecasts uh, that prices would continue to rise. Hmm. I can find you some market oh, forecasts man. that they'll Even go today, anyway. At
0: $3.70 corn, we still have <laughs> forecasts that corn will continue to rise we, after it falls.
1: Yes. You name a day, we can find a market forecast Absolutely. and you name a direction. Up, down, or sideways. We There's all of the forecasts. But anyways, um, that's what happened and. And just like a lot of elevators we, we talked about in, in that episode, uh, elevators had to exit positions and things like that. I mean, that that's to the point where they're at. Their credit limits are are maxed out and the ratios are all out of whack. And it's like, we got to change something. And and the reason they had gotten to that point was because prices had gone way higher than they thought. And now I got a guy coming in here telling me, yeah, it's going to keep going higher. And they're like, well, we, we can't go anymore. So... Some elevators exited positions, and that cost them because they couldn't lay off the cash position at that point. Similar sort of situation uh, here, except a lot more dollars and bushels. But what they did is they they got doubled up on with these accumulators. They thought so. Almost they they would say that probably, but it's really a Texas hedge mm-hmm. uh, from their standpoint. Yeah, from this because it was like not only am I going to exit the position where if you exit the, the your hedges and the prices drop, you're in trouble. Right? from Yeah, from their standpoint. It just, just from exiting hedge. If you exit the hedge and do accumulator, that's a little extra on, on top of Now, it. to so,
0: say, the farmers that did the accumulators were thinking they were great because market dropped and they've yeah. got double bushels sold up here, but it's only great if you get paid.
1: That's right. And that's where that greatness stopped. That's it. It's, it's like the, uh, the deal of, oh, this has gone against me. Well, I'm going to double up, so it's only got to come back halfway for me to break even. That's always fun. That's a good line of thinking. It's, it's excellent.
0: It's interesting here towards the end of the article. It says, It's also important to consider how your decisions may be viewed in retrospect. Verison's executives likely believe they made good and reasonable business decisions and disclosed the material facts. While they are not being sued for breaches of fiduciary duty, those claims regularly accompany Securities fraud claims and it is important to realize that having a well-reasoned process for making decisions is often just as important as the decision itself Mike wow. drop. nice and again you know we' we're, we're making light of this years later but it was a it was a terrible deal I'm sure some people went out of business other than them uh, from dealing with them on it I, I right. don't know yeah. but I, I would it wouldn't surprise me a bit because they were Golly, they were you saw the, the dollars amount there. They were a big buyer of corn, a big player. I mean, that that was right at the peak of the ethanol boom coming up after 06. And it was oh, that was a tough summer.
1: Yeah, I mean and Roger, you down there, there was a bean crush plant down near yeah, you guys yeah. that went out uh years ago and did there and and there were lots of elevators down there on the hook. You yeah. Know?
0: Yeah, you know that's 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 one thing uh, I would say to all the the elevator folk listening. If you don't know what your state's guidelines are for how they do or don't assist you when counterparty risk prevails, don't assume that you get treated the same as a farmer with grain in these places. Because oh, I sure. can tell you from one in Missouri, you do not. Farmers will get covered for their for their grain and contracts contracts if there's money left over after the grain. But for sure, the grain elevators, I was told. We are on our own, period. <laughs> so again, if you're just doing part of your due diligence, check that out and see because uh, assumptions can
1: be fatal in this yeah. area. So for those of you just tuning in, uh, we're we're talking about the thanks for grain finding sheets. us on your dial. Yeah, that's uh thanks. We're we've been talking about that. That's how podcasts work. I think people yeah. can just uh, browse in as they go. Anyways, so if you're just joining us, that's uh we're talking about fraud in the grain business and stuff over the years we were talking (laughs) about fraud no i'd like to uh uh, to discuss so i I guess what i wanted to get across here to to our listeners is maybe there are maybe you haven't been really hit by any of these And, and i hope not and that's great but just so so our our examples we gave from north dakota arkansas texas um eastern corn belt missouri it's it's right if you haven't been hit by it yet or one close there's a good chance eventually in your career uh your it's going to be close to you so how do you what do you look for how do you keep from from uh getting taken out by something like this because odds are eventually one's going to be close to you if it mm-hmm. hadn't been yet so what do you look for i mean a few things are do payments start
0: not yes. coming in
1: as fast, right? That's
0: probably the biggest flag. Yeah. Slow pay and continually slower. Right. Look, some places have slow pay. It just happens. There's there's, a, there's some companies out there, uh, pet food manufacturers that have 180-day pay. But they tell you that going into it, and that's part of the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in other places, it's 30-day or day, day of. But it's when things start deviating from the norm or you start getting the runaround on it. And I know when you want money or need money, you kind of believe whatever you're told, but you got to stand back and look a little objectively on it. Payments are starting to get slow. Because guess what? You can probably find someone else in your market to sell to that pays a little quicker.
1: And a lot of the time, these folks don't even have their own facilities. Not that that's a a, a deal, because cash brokers can be worth their weight in gold. Do not get me wrong there. But but when it's somebody new or, or something like that, make sure you've checked them out with people that, if you can... That I deal with we get uh, customers of ours all the time. Elevators that it's some other big company that mm-hmm. maybe folks that they deal with a lot of folks in a certain area, but they've never been out in this area, and they they ask and they say, "Hey, how's this? Is their money good and, and stuff like that?" Before you before you get get too too deep in there. Yeah. Another thing is uh, for the elevators it you guys know, of course, the Verison thing happened, but a lot of ethanol plants over the years, as the ebbs and flows, have been a little on shaky ground at times. A lot have gone out and some are very strong. So you got them all over. But uh, there was a, a time there where everyone was a little worried because the ethanol margins were nothing. And and,
0: and there was the ahead.
1: whole legislative thing. You know, they had to re-up
0: that right. bill in 2010. That was when the biodiesel got killed. That's when that mm-hmm. that plant down south of here went out. Um, you know, so, you know, something that's subsidized by the government lives or dies by that. And, uh, and not to offend any of our ethanol listeners out there, but that's kind of the way we see it. And, um, you know, again, it's, it's counterparty risk. You can't avoid it. Yeah, If you sell or buy from anyone else in the marketplace, that risk exists. You just try to minimize it.
1: Yeah. And, and another tip I, I'd give is where you can, from the elevator side, I, I understand farmers most of the time are selling because they- like the price or mm-hmm. that, that works for them. But from the elevator side is you're a basis trader. You know, if there's somebody that may be on shaky ground or is in a business like that, that could be keeping a basis contract until delivery. And since 08, that has really mm-hmm. happened more because the buyers don't want to uh, have more futures on. They learned a lesson there, but some, some, uh, when they, when they get into this, they want to, they want to price stuff and so so keeping it based until it's delivered um not that once bankruptcy happens they're going to go back on all the old stuff and tell you you got to pay the money back clawbacks yeah they will go back however many days and and do that so it's not like oh i waited until delivery and i got paid and and i'm safe well they can can still go back don't get me wrong but but it helps if you didn't price it six months ahead of time and then the market has changed and you're I mean, yeah. try to try to explain to a judge and jury and, and all this stuff, how no, the grain business don't. works and how futures hedges work and how, you know, they're going to be, no, 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 this, you didn't deliver the grain. Well, the grain, when the grain came, it was this, that's all they understand. And then the other thing is rolling stuff. If guys are like, I, I can't, you got it priced and then they're like, let's just roll it. it you thought you thought the other was bad. Try explaining to a judge and jury how spreads work and how much you owe. I mean, yeah, come on. So <laughs> keep it simple. Something to be said for arbitration after if they, all. And this goes with, you know, with producers too that get in trouble. He's rolling stuff forward is cut it. Don't get into a bunch of rolls. If stuff's if stuff is stressed, just end it, invoice it, and people understand you owed this and you didn't do this, and and this is what you're, you know
0: goes back to the, the old axiom. Your first mistake is usually your cheapest.
1: Right. Yeah. Good point. Your is that Occam's razor? You're always teaching me about things. <sighs> Randy, what say you? Nope. He says no. This That's the simplest answer is the He answer. hasn't shaved in Not days. the first. I don't know if I'd take his word. There you go.
0: So I think that wraps it up for our little conversation here on Grain Cheats. Um you know, it's a, it's a crappy subject to talk about, but it's it's part of our world. And um just got to be on the lookout. Keep on your toes and whatever else people say in these situations.
1: All right. Well, we appreciate you guys as always. Tune in listening listen in. Download, like, subscribe, leave us good feedback, all that stuff. Please uh, continue to do so. Uh, thanks. Reach out to us on Twitter, at Elevators Cut. We do have swag now that we've already actually – sending out to people and stuff is koozies and window clings right roger
0: yeah window clings not decals we learned right that was uh... (laughs) the
1: yeah car wash will take them plumb off
0: yeah So. so shout out uh real quick here to uh the first swag giveaway on twitter uh at maddie walsh at sager grain at kf houseworth at i am your farmer and at nick erdman you guys all won some koozies and clings today, so thanks for sucking up to us. And yeah.
1: we continue to look for your positive comments. Yes, congratulations! You're one of life's winners, and we are. We're thankful for all you guys. Uh, we got Thanksgiving uh, coming. I'm sure Thanksgiving will have passed by the time you're listening to this, but it's coming so. up for us. And anyways, we're thankful. For, for this and you guys uh, listening and helping us continue to do this. So thanks. Uh, but that's it for today. So for Roger, I'm Jason. For Jason, I'm Roger. Thanks for listening to The Elevator's Cut. Out.